And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Blues cruise at Burnley. Another week, another League Cup final defeat. We look ahead to Thursday's trip to Norwich and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Here we go then. Blues, another week in the life of Chelsea FC. You're joining me, Matt Davis Adams, alongside the Athletics Chelsea expert Dominic Fifield. Hi, Dom. Hi, how are you doing, Matt? All right, thank you. Uh, Sam Parkin's also with us. Uh, Sam, it's been a while since we've had you on. Uh, it's quite a different Chelsea world now. It is, and just uh, off. Mike, I was telling you how much I enjoyed uh, last week's podcast. It was very informative in, I'd imagine, pretty difficult circumstances. So, um, yeah, it was an excellent listen and tricky times, isn't it? That's not all that you said about last week's podcast, (laughs) is it, (laughs) No, well, I was a little bit under the weather last week, so I was probably in need of some shut-eye. So I not only was educated with... Um, some wonderful answers in the early part, but then I nodded off for the uh, the football critique. So I don't know what anyone thought about Kenilworth Road um, <laughs> and that wonderful late victory. Well, you've summed it up, basically. Wonderful late <laughs> victory. Um, we will talk about action on the pitch pretty soon, but but we ought to mention the takeover and the latest. Dom, I saw a report in the Telegraph last week saying that Chelsea will reject bids linked to countries with political issues. Uh, it seems to have all gone a bit quiet. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? You know, we spoke last week about people shouting loudly about proposed takeovers don't normally complete them. I guess we shouldn't be getting updates on it every day. Absolutely not. And you'd imagine that anyone who is properly serious about taking over at Chelsea has signed NDAs um, to ensure that that process is not played out in public. Um, I'm not surprised at all that, that some of those initial potential buyers have have drifted and now some of them have disappeared. One of whom, actually, one of whom I'm not even sure people in his own country knew he was particularly and yet he he was coming out saying that he was about to buy the current European and reigning world champions so not surprised that it's that it'll be played out behind the scenes not surprised also that that all that early optimism that this will be done by Friday by Monday whatever has not come to pass I suspect this process could well take quite a period of time particularly if the asking price is what has been mooted publicly um again someone somewhere is briefing something that towards three billion pounds uh, for the purchase of chelsea and uh, we had this conversation last week on the pod as to whether that might be optimistic or not in the current climate and given everything that's going on but um it's not a surprise to me that if, if abramovich is is seeking a certain price that that um that he won't necessarily find prospective buyers who are willing to pay it 
from the outset. So I suspect this will drag. It will, it will proceed slowly for some time and quietly in the in the background. Uh, and feel free to say, Matt, I'm a football journalist, not a political commentator, but. The fact that no sanctions have been levied yet against Roman Abramovich, does that mean that the club feel they, they've bought themselves a bit more time? Or maybe not they've bought themselves a bit more time. The government's inaction means that there's not the need to kind of urgently force this through that there was before. Because surely if something was going to happen to that end, it, it already would have done. I think it's dangerous to, to assume that. I think the club would be f- foolish to assume that as well. I suspect that the, the delay is that if you are going to impose sanctions on on an oligarch like Roman Abramovich, uh, then you're going to need a, a legally watertight argument to, to justify that. The government, whether that be the UK government, the US government, the European Union, would they'd all be terrified of the prospect of losing an appeal should they impose sanctions and Abramovich then come and fight that, basically. In the UK stipulations, um, even when your assets are frozen, when sanctions are imposed, you are allowed to pay for legal advice. I would imagine that Roman Abramovich's lawyers would be all over that and um, would fight it um, in, in the courts because, as we've been continually told, he doesn't believe that sanctions would be justified. You know, I'm not passing judgment on that at all, but... Um, that that's what he would argue. They don't expect sanctions to be imposed, but but the reality is that that threat hangs over the process still. If if they are imposed, it wouldn't prevent necessarily prevent a sale, but it would make it a lot more complicated. And the implications for Chelsea, as we discussed last week, would be very very severe. And there would have to be applications, presumably made for licenses to to allow them to continue making payroll and allowing the club to still function. Um, and it would it would inevitably open a can of worms in terms of the Premier League as well. They would have an awful lot to deal with in a very, very, very short period of time to make sure that the season can continue, basically, and that Chelsea can still compete. Um, but it's all if buts and maybes. We, it's such a complicated situation. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a legal process as well. Uh, and we, we just wait. No one knows whether these... Sanctions will ever be forthcoming or not. Sam, take us into the, the mind of a player in this situation. Are you, are you not bothered by it? Are you deeply concerned? Are you hoping that, that a, a sale comes about swiftly or or are you purely thinking about yourself, what it means for you and, you know, whether you need to engineer an exit? I think a bit, a bit of both. I think it would be wrong to dismiss it because, you know, as Dom and the other guys know on this podcast, there's very serious negotiations going on in terms of some of the the better players contracts right now so that's going to be impacted probably you know directly immediately by by all this um external noise that's that that's going on and and obviously the potential new owner um so yeah and and then the bigger picture is are Chelsea going to be competing on all fronts in the in the coming seasons in the near future and the top players want to be playing in the Champions League, don't they, every season and want to be competing for the biggest trophy. So, of course, the players that are uh, in their prime, approaching their prime, it's um, it's a it's a huge moment, isn't it, in, in their Chelsea histories, really, to see what, what transpires in the next weeks and months. So I think it probably does have an effect. I think you can, 
put it to one side when you've got Champions League games, huge games on the horizon, um, trophies to play for. But I think when you're going home and speaking to your loved ones, yeah, you, of course you're going to be concerned about your future. Well, listen, if you want to get the full insight of what happened last week, a remarkable week in the history of Chelsea Football Club, do head over to The Athletic now, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod. If you aren't currently a subscriber, the place to go to sign up, you can read a, an exhaustive piece by Dom, Liam and Simon about just how last week went. OK, let's get to the football next. Chelsea enjoyed their annual stroll in Lancashire on Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mount working it wide for Saul. And it's in by Pulisic. It's a gift of a goal off Tarkovsky. And it's 4 0 Chelsea. Burnley nil Chelsea 4, then all the action in the second half at Turf Moor after an opening 45 minutes that could generously be described as forgettable. Uh, Dom, you and I were there. Before we get to the match, we ought to deal with the idiocy and insensitivity shown by some Chelsea supporters before the match. Uh, Thomas Tuchel rightly condemning those fans who chanted Roman Abramovich's name during the uh, moment's applause for Ukraine. Yeah, I thought Tuchel handled it absolutely brilliantly almost interrupting the question. He knew what was coming and he had his an answer that he wanted out there, um, saying that that was not the time to be singing that particular chant. It was about timing. And, and when we say minority, um, that stadium was standing in, and, and applauding. And I could certainly hear what was being sung very loudly. Um, I, I guess you were, you were a bit further down the stand from me. Uh, directly opposite the diagonally opposite from the from the Chelsea supporters, and it was very obvious what was going on. And they, they might argue that they were chanting his name because he has suggested that he will, well, the net proceeds of of any sale will go to the victims of the war in Ukraine. To quote the statement from from when was it last Wednesday night? But to sing out a Russian owner's name, an oligarch's name, a man who is potentially, potentially going to be sanctioned um, by the UK government. <sighs> the timing of it was ridiculous and it, and it, and it, it did come across as untasteful and it, it, it came across as them taunting the whole process when we were meant to be showing solidarity for the people of Ukraine who are suffering so badly at the moment at the hands of a Russian invasion. Um, so, I think they went on, and I mean, I, I, I charted it in the in my notes on the game. They they chanted his name about seven or eight times in in unison during the game itself, and I think you can accept that if you know you're grateful. No one's no one's suggesting that Chelsea fans should not be grateful for everything that Roman Abramovich has done for their club over the last nineteen years. 
And although there were some boos on a few of those occasions from the Burnley supporters at the chanting of the name during the match, you can accept that that would happen during the game. You can you can you can show your your thanks to a to a potentially an outgoing owner um, during the match itself. But to do it during the minutes applause, <sighs> yeah, it was. Well, I think Thomas Seacole summed it up. The timing, it wasn't the moment to be doing that. Yeah, if you can't draw a line between football tribalism and genuine devastating conflict, then you're a moron. But I'm sure that was nobody listening to this podcast. In terms of the game, Sam, seven changes to the lineup from Luton. Just wondering whether this was actually the strongest 11 available to Thomas Tuchel. Hakim Ziyech maybe would have something to say about that, but but Pulisic seems to have played himself into a bit of form. Uh, Christensen looks out of it and maybe on the way out, so you'd maybe say that Chalaba is in that position, or, or am I just being blinded by that kind of eight-minute spell in the second half where they look like 1970s Brazil? <laughs> no, it's difficult to argue with you. Obviously, the uh, left wing-back situation continues to in, intrigue, really. Um, yeah, I mean, where Chelsea would be had they had you know, Chilwell and James are available. They'd certainly be a lot closer to uh, where they wanted to be this season. But no, I thought, yeah, given the injuries right now, the the, the, the players that are out of form, uh, this is the way I'd go, certainly in terms of the, the front three. And uh, after a, a sticky first half, um, you know, a lot down to Burnley's organisation I thought they almost in a back six weren't they after about 15-20 minutes that's how it looked to me any anyway going back over the game and until you get that moment of brilliance from Reese James um, that changes the complexion because it gives Chelsea the confidence um, but it also made Burnley come out a little bit more uh, and they weren't up that back six any longer. And Chelsea worked out very quickly they could get between the lines and, and, and get joy, more joy in the wide position. So, yeah, job well done in the end. But um, laboured in the first half and uncharacteristic mistakes from some of the more consistent performers, Conte and, and Mendy, with, with two that could have turned into Burnley opening goals. So, yeah, really subdued in the first half and... Uh, and excellent in the in the opening 20 minutes of the second half. That's that's how I saw it, really. Let's talk a bit more about Reese, as Thomas Tuchel <laughs> likes to call him, Dom, which I think is one of the most endearing things in football presently. Um, is, is it too easy to say that Chelsea's season would have been entirely different had he been fit throughout it? I mean, obviously, he's got he's 10 years younger than Azpilicueta, so he's got that, that bit more energy, but he's also a different player, isn't he? And he, he just changed the whole focus of Chelsea's attack, particularly in the second half. Oh, he was it, it was brilliant to see him back and playing that way again. Um, Tuca was asked about that. He was asked that question in the post-match press conference. You know, that, is it is it too simplistic to to suggest that it was uh, that, that the season sort of fell away when when Reece James went? But um, I think he, he fudged the answer, but and pointed out also that that Ben Chilwell's absence is pretty key on the other side of the pitch, but. But it was a, a little throwback in that second half, um, admittedly against against opponents who collapsed completely once the first goal had gone in, um, to to what Chelsea were back in the for a period in the autumn when Chilwell and and uh, and James were were going at it on down down the other flank, and teams really found it difficult to cope with them. Um, he, it was brilliant. I mean, the first he sort of eased his way into in in through the first half. It's his first first start of the of the year. So you'd understand that, and that's completely acceptable. But 
but the way that he 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 jinxed the space out for the first goal was was superb and a really good finish. And then then he's then he's just causing a menace. Then he's he's, he's he is a menace down that flank. He's he's causing them all kinds of, of problems. I don't know whether I think it's Taylor who doesn't know whether to go to him. I mean McNeil defensively was pretty prone all afternoon. Didn't really know what to do with with James rampaging up and down that flank. And yeah, that eight minute period settled the game, and he was instrumental in the first three goals and just just absolutely running riot. And that's it. Reminded me of the performance at Newcastle when he was scoring goals, and that was another game I was lucky enough to be at, and they they won that game handsomely and and very very comfortably as well. Um, when he turns it on, there's there's very little you can do about it other than doubling up and being tighter and being more aggressive and. Burnley were uncharacteristically tentative, I thought, on that. And as soon as that first goal in went in, they just sort of well, collapse is probably kind that they they just I don't know, they just wilted. It was it was an indication as to why they're probably gonna get relegated. Yeah, you think about the performance they put in at Stamford Bridge in, in November when there was no pressure on them and then at this stage of the season where they really need the points, it was noticeable the way they collapsed in the second half. Uh, OK, we'll call this section of the show Liam Toomey Corner. Uh, Sam, are we now seeing the best of Kai Havertz? I mean, he, obviously he's scoring goals, but he, he seems to be consistently putting together 90-minute performances now. He's, he's so kind of elegant and elusive when he's at his best and, and Burnley just didn't have a clue how to mark him. No, no, they didn't. Um, you know, I was frustrated with, with him and the, the rest of the, just the whole performance in the first half. I thought it was too laboured with the, with the ball. Um, you know, when you're playing against inferior opposition, have to move it quicker. I thought that the centre-halves were, were guilty of that. Um, I was going to add to what Dom said there. I thought, you know, Trevor Chalaber on that right-hand side as well stepped forward a lot higher in the second half. He was the spare man and gave them a bit of, bit of forward impetus but yeah Havertz really came into his own in the second half the first goal was a brilliant goal as well because he's backpedaling he's got to get the accuracy uh, generate the power as well on quite a floated delivery so that's a brilliant goal and I just love the setup I think he looks you know especially against a, a deep line defense his his movement where he's not playing up against the center halves gives them you know big problems and Looks confident, lovely little touches. Um, there was one in the second half where uh ball out of the sky, he kind of took it with his, I think it was with his back or with his shoulder, trying to take it into his stride. It's very kind of Berbatov-esque, if I can say that. But Parking-esque, we like. <laughs> possibly, possibly for three years when I was uh, living the dream in the West Country, but um, not so much. Yeah, no, he, he, he looks full of confidence right now. And yeah, we've spoken on this podcast recently I think it was Simon about you know being a big player for the big moment and the big occasion well yeah if he's going to be a consistent in the Premier League and stay here for a number of years uh, he's got to do it at Burnley um, amongst all other places and he was yeah he's fantastic in that second half and yeah he's he's one of the first names on the team sheet right now and and probably going to get himself a rest in the next two games uh, given that his importance is growing for the Champions League campaign so three points on Saturday. It means Chelsea are third in the table. They've got a six-point buffer between themselves and fifth place Manchester United. They've actually played twice more than the Blues. This solidification of a top four place, Tom, that, that's presumably got to be pretty important in terms of the the potential sale of the club. You know, it would be a, a different price if Chelsea were eighth and five points off fourth. 
Well, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you could almost go back 19 years to the summer of 2003 and have the importance of that last game of the season against Liverpool and what that meant for, for Chelsea's sale up that summer, uh, qualifying for the, for the Champions League. But it's funny, I mean, at no point this season have I ever thought that Chelsea were under any threat at all of not finishing in the top four, and I still don't feel that now. Um, I, I'm quite intrigued by Arsenal being on their shoulder. That's unexpected. Um, but, you know, having witnessed what Arsenal did yesterday at Watford and their, their attacking verve at the moment, I can sort of see why they've sprinted up the table in the manner that they have. Um, but I, th- I, th- I think Chelsea Chelsea are, are capable of, of... They will finish. I'm sure they will finish the league season in a in, in very impressive fashion. They have the squad for it. Um the fact that people like James are coming back in and um, will, will bolster their options, and I'm sure that they'll finish at a sprint in 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 the Premier League and finish clear of fourth place as well, and and very much at the very worst in third. The the title race is you know obviously that's gone, but but um, yeah, I, I don't have any concerns. I've never I've never felt as if Champions League football was ever under threat uh, for for Chelsea this season. They're, they're they you know they're, they're the best team in the world in terms of winning the club world cup and the and the reigning european champions but they're the third best team in the premier league by comfortably the third best team in the premier league that that in in terms of the, the chasing pack well they've got a good opportunity to cement their place in the top 4 when they go to norwich on thursday we'll have a look at that game next Since we last spoke, it's been confirmed that Chelsea will go to Middlesbrough in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup later this month. That match means the game against Norwich at Carrow Road has been brought forward to Thursday of this week with a 7.30 kickoff in East Anglia. Uh, Sam, based on, on what I saw on Match of the Day from Carrow Road on Saturday night, this ought to be a, another simple stroll for, for Chelsea. Maybe not 7-0 like when they met earlier in the season, but Norwich looked pretty rotten just now. Yeah, yeah, there's not even been a spell other than Dean Smith's first couple of games where they've put back-to-back performances and and got points. So, you know, normally you can point to a couple of performers at a higher level or a couple of results like the, you know, the majority of the sides around them have, have had periods. Burnley rallied to produce two wins on the spin recently and and we can see what Newcastle have done uh, as well. So it's difficult to see where they're going to they're gonna get that optimism that they can get close to the to the pack above the relegation zone so you'd expect there to be a number of changes although you'd have preferred these two fixtures the other way around I would imagine you know Norwich and and Newcastle so you could you could really rotate heavily the way that it's fallen Um, I'm not sure how the way how Thomas Tuchel will play it with the Champions League game on the horizon but yeah it's it's a game you'd expect Chelsea to win and win comfortably where would you be making the changes, Dom? I wonder if we might see an entirely new front three, for example. You could go Lukaku, Werner and Ziyech just to just to give the other three a rest. Yeah. I mean I think <laughs> I think Kai Havertz, Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic might have a few objections to that because it, it feels a bit like playing Norwich is an opportunity to fill your boots at the moment. Um, amazing that this is the third time this season they've lost five games on the bounce, um, which is a remarkable statistic and really shows where they're at. And not all Premier League matches, obviously, but even so. Um, 
Tuchel suggested that Timo Werner was very close to starting at the weekend and probably merited a start almost um, at Burnley. So I imagine that he gets a run out. And if, if you're playing Werner, then you probably are playing Lukaku because, you know, in that in that Luton game, at the very least, you saw the germs of a relationship, you know, and an understanding, not least because Timo Werner set up Lukaku for his goal. So maybe that's an opportunity to to unleash those two. And Hakim Ziyech, I know, I know we've... I know the balance of that front three with with Mount Pulisic and Havertz has has looked very good in the in the last few matches. But Hakim Ziyech was Chelsea's most persuasive attacking performer for a, a long period ahead of um, his recent injury ahead of the Carabao Cup final. So yeah, he he merits a coming into the team, and I'm sure he'll do a, an excellent job against a, a porous Norwich defence on Thursday night. Um, Newcastle at the weekend is a is a far trickier prospect given their recent run of, of form and maybe you then revert back to the to the the three that have done so well uh, of of late depending on how how the team performs at Norwich but I, you know you'd, you'd expect them to wipe the floor with Norwich on Thursday night with whichever combination of of players I know producer Lucy's just given a rueful smile there and knows exactly where this is going now and it's going to be one nil Norwich but but really it's I've seen I've seen them a fair bit in the last few weeks and you know that they're they're making mad decisions at the back. They they will be without Billy Gilmore in midfield for this match. Um, they just look they just look a championship team. Unfortunately, they just look out the depth and up against the European and world champions. I I really don't think it's going to be an issue. Sam, do you think that uh, Kennedy will be knocking on Thomas Tuchel's door, phone in hand, YouTube up, saying, hey, I scored after 39 seconds at Carrow Road back in 2016. Perhaps I could offer a bit more of an attacking threat than Sal in the left wing back position. I don't think he seems the type, Matt, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure if he was yeah, dragged back uh, to, to be a squad player for the remainder of this season. Uh, he did fine at Luton, didn't he? But I thought Sal was was okay, gave them good balance. Um, seemed to be slightly deeper maybe in the second half, held his position. He was you know, right on the touchline, but it's it's not ideal. But whoever you have in that role, I think with Ben Chilwell missing, I think, you know, there's been some very mediocre performances from, from Marcus Alonso. Uh, you know, the stuff that he has brought to the party in his Chelsea career, I don't think has been that evident this year. I've been disappointed with him recently, but... Um, yeah, I'd imagine Kennedy could get a run out in these next two games if um, if it continues to be a problem position. Um, it's yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to have that attacking impetus from that side, but you're probably going to have to um, be realistic, and it's probably going to be a bit more security down the left hand side at the moment, especially the way you know Reese James has returned to action. I've just realised why producer Lucy's so nervous. She's going to Carrow Road on <laughs> Thursday night. Um, Norwich haven't beaten Chelsea there since 1994. I, I think they'll be all right. Um, Lucy thinks because that's when she was born, that's a bad omen. I, I just think for the rest of us, that's really insulting to point out that she was born in <laughs> 1994. Uh, let's move on swiftly. Uh, we're going to drop our second part of the week on Friday rather than Thursday so we can reflect on that game. Uh, the women's team are in Conti Cup final action this weekend. We'll tell you how they got on after this. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Chelsea's two-year reign as League Cup holders came to an end on Saturday. They were beaten 3-1 by Manchester City in the 2022 Conti Cup final at Plough Lane. Uh, Here's what Emma Hayes had to say after the game. Oh, listen, we've been unbeaten against that team in 10 games. They were due one and uh, I don't think, I know this team well enough. I don't think that was a good enough performance to win a cup today. Over 90 minutes. We've got a game coming up on Thursday and we're going to have to show that character that I I speak up so highly of um, because I'm, I'm disappointed as the dressing room will be, but, you know, we just have to move on. Uh, Don, we, we've obviously spoken about Thomas Tuchel's reaction to the, the takeover talk. It's got to have been even harder for Emma Hayes, hasn't it? Seeing as she's one of the trustees, he was, he was named as being given stewardship and care of the club, which I think was a bit of a surprise to her and, and understandably overshadowed the build-up to this, this major game for her team. Yeah, I agree. I, I think she, she was put in a very difficult position. Um, obviously, at that stage on... It's a Saturday night ahead of the Carabao Cup final for the men. Um, when that statement went out, I'm, I'm not sure the trustees were given very much notice at all that this was this was what was going to happen. Bruce Buck did his 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 ring around, and by all accounts, he was as flabbergasted at, at the turn of events as as the people he was informing were now potentially going to be well in charge in stewardship of the club. Um, it's not. I mean, it's clearly not in her remit. I mean, she's a football manager, and it, she sort of had to wait for the. By the time she actually addressed the media, I think it was Friday when she when she spoke ahead of the the cup final. That whole madcap scheme had sort of died a death, um, and obviously the the story had moved on to to the club being up for sale. But it must have affected her because because inevitably there were questions about how she dealt with it and how 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 do you deal with it if you're 
if you're a trustee of a foundation which does great jobs uh you know in the local community etc then suddenly you're being told that you're actually not only are you managing the women's team but you're also potentially one of six people that's going to be running the entire club and getting it through a really really difficult period where the owner is as we've said before potentially going to be sanctioned it's a hell of a ask and it wasn't thought through properly that's let's be honest that that that, that whole idea um was crazy um but i thought she dealt with it very well on friday she had all she could do was sort of stress that she's a football manager she's a football manager that's what that's that's what her job is that was her focus but it must be unsettling i mean they've had the, the women's team had a has a visit from petr check on the thursday of the week as well trying to offer some kind of um I want to say assurances, but I'd, as Thomas Tuchel pointed out, Petacek isn't able to offer any assurances really at the moment. But this sort of plea for unity and and uh, look around you and see that this the brilliant structure we've got here at this club, uh, we will survive, we will get through this, let's all stick together and concentrate on our football. It must be a distraction. It must be a distraction. And they faced a her team faced a far sterner test um, of their focus. Um, in a cup final than than the men's team did at Burnley, to be honest, when, they, when the men were up against a, a team with fragile confidence. And then when you throw in, on top of all of that, when Emma Hayes had to deal with this all week and the, you know blighting her preparations, interfering with things, the, the, the issue around Alsu Abdelina and this sort of late decision taken um, just prior to kick-off to have the, the photograph with the two teams together in unity of solidarity with Ukraine and you've got this young Russian um, player who who's been informed later she's on the substitutes bench they didn't, they weren't sure whether the, the substitutes were going to be included in this and she's sort of been faced with this decision to be made just like that in the blink of a second are you, are you going to go in there and obviously she's she's stepped away from the photograph and you know probably quite sensibly really given the given the the, the pressure she would have been under um, back home and she's got family back in Russia family and friends these are things that Emma Hayes is now going to have to deal with in the week ahead. I mean, this it's it's a really, really delicate situation and and one that will test test her and her her, her management skills. But that said, she's you know everything that she confronts, she seems to she seems to to overcome or find a find a way through. So I I imagine she will do so with this as well. But it's it's been a very very difficult week and and uh, I don't think it's a huge surprise that they found the game as difficult as they did. Yeah, they went ahead in it. Sam Kerr put in Chelsea in front by half-time, but City much better in the second half. Caroline Weir scored twice and Ellen White tapped one in from close range too. Uh, the other factor, Sam, and a, a legitimate excuse, is that Chelsea without were without key players for this game. Jesse Fleming dropped out not long before it with COVID, but Cuthbert, Kirby, Eriksson, Lerpols, Mielda, I mean, some of those haven't played for a while, but but they're all key figures in the team. And if you lose one of them, it's a problem. If you lose four or five, it's almost an insurmountable one. Yeah, you, you would think so. Um, not ideal for a cup final against, obviously, a, a City side who had been written off, I think, in kind of November, December time. So I, I think that's another in- ingredient that they've got momentum all of a sudden. Um, they'd have gone into this game chipper. And that second half performance showed that. I saw Millie Bright's interview after the game and she was in relatively good spirit. So as Dom says, with loads going on, um, it's about turning the focus back to the league, isn't it? And trying to 
get maximum points from this next run of games against uh, teams in the lower reach of the division to get closer to Arsenal. But that's going to be a job in itself because um, I'm sure this is the yeah one of the first times that Emma Hayes has not had her complete focus on the on the pitch and the training ground. Yeah, in terms of the WSL Arsenal and a 4-2 win against Birmingham on Sunday, it means they're eight points clear of Chelsea at the top of the table, albeit they played three games more. And Chelsea do have a fairly gentle run of games coming up. West Ham away on Thursday, then Villa and Everton before they play their FA Cup quarterfinal against Birmingham. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-18s enjoyed a 2-0 win against West Brom on Saturday. Goals from Leo Castledine and Jimmy Torreinen gave the Blues three points. It means they're fourth in the under-18 PL South, five points behind leaders Southampton. Uh, the under-23s haven't played for more than a month now. They host West Ham on Friday night. Uh, you're with me for that one, are you, Sam? Yeah, I've been hoping to be with you for the last 15 games that got called off because of the weather or, or wherever it's been. I've got myself all the way to the the studio uh, last time out before the Everton postponement. So yeah, they'll be looking forward to getting going because they've, again, like the um, women's team got some, some games, some winnable games to get themselves away from the bottom of the table. And it's becoming quite, quite a story, isn't it? I suppose. Um, their struggles this year, so they need to pick up some wins and and soon. So, were you surprised then that Brian Fiabeamer, the Norwegian striker, has gone to Rosenborg on loan with an option to buy? I know he's not particularly prolific, but but do they not just need as many bodies as they can get at the moment to stop them going down, or or is it still about you know the player's development and his career is that is the most important thing? I think so, and he's he's not been a regular fixture, has he? At any stage, he's he's been an excellent impact player. Seems to. <laughs> He won't want me to say this, but very early in his career, um, he seemed to have picked up the knack of coming on and um, adapting quickly to the speed of the game and and getting important goals. That's kind of my feeling towards him. When he starts the games, he doesn't have that same impact. So, but no, I think you're you're right, probably with the question, Matt, uh, what you say in the question, it's it's still about ultimately um, uh, developing these players and, and getting them out and getting them proper football as soon as possible. All right, before we go, uh, Dom, what's in your agenda for this week? You're writing a big profile on prospective Chelsea owner, Conor McGregor. (laughs) Ultimate fighting owner. Um, No. Uh, (laughs) Obviously, obviously Chelsea and the state of flux at the top of the club will will come into into the thinking for the course of the week and will react to to things that are happening here. Um, I'm hoping at some point to... To break away from that madness and and uh, write up a, a piece on uh, academy financial education that that uh, I don't know it's quite interesting that I, I hadn't really considered it but a, a lot of these a lot of these lads in in academies up and down the country earn an awful lot of money very very quickly and they can also earn an, a, an awful lot of money overnight with with new contracts etc and and a few clubs Chelsea women have actually. Um, Chelsea's women's side have have, have done this. Have, have have brought in an external firm to come in and, and discuss things like saving and investment and how you deal with mortgages and and basic things that that you know you and I actually probably might have benefited from actually having a bit of chat like that back back in the day at school or university or wherever. And these guys are now getting told about all this stuff uh, within the academy setup which is all part of the premier leagues 
um, desire to educate um, across the board on on life and allow these these guys, whatever careers they go into, whether it's in football or not, to be well rounded and ready for whatever life will throw at them. So I'm hoping to write that up at some point this week. Excellent. Um, there is other Chelsea content on the Athletic too. You can read Oliver Kay's profile of Roman Abramovich. Uh, Sam, you're hitting the big time this midweek, Tuesday and Wednesday. Television star. Yeah, the the big um, Papa John's trophy reaching its, uh, well, nearing its climax. Um, yeah. Wigan Sutton United Tuesday night and Rotherham v Hartlepool on uh, on Sky. So I'm going to be in the studio for both those two games. And if I do a good job, well, they've already booked me, but I'm back for Sunday's Luton v <laughs> QPR uh, offering as well. So yeah, I, I missed out on some soccer last week, so I'm going all in. This one. The Sam Parking Derby, Luton QPR, of course. Uh, briefly, Don, pineapple on a pizza, yes or no? No. Surprising. I'm a big fan of it, Sam. I don't serve that in beef pizza. I, 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 would have, <laughs> I, I would have responded with a high level of snobbery a few years ago, but I'm quite partial these days. Yeah, It's got a bad <laughs> rap. But Sometimes I get the nicest pizza in, in Waitrose and the, and the worst one being the uh, pineapple offering. Wow. Are we doing this purely to to plug the competition that, that Sam is now? I mean, <laughs> was this just random questions that we're going to lob in at the end of the podcast now? Because it will really confuse Simon if you do this. <laughs> I'm just warning you in advance. I only realised, well, I just thought he was bringing you into the conversation, Don. <laughs> 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 I didn't realise there was uh, some method to the madness. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, if you like pineapple on a pizza as I do, fine, but probably avoid Papa John's because it's not very good. Uh, right, we'll be back on Friday rather than Thursday. We'll talk Norwich, Newcastle and more then do join us for that if you can for now though from all of us here it's goodbye The Athletic